Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out a Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's a buddy of mine, someone that I identify in this interview as one of my favorite authors, and I stand by that, Tony Retman, author of, well, the New York Hardcore History book, the Midwest Hardcore Oral History book, but most recently, Straight Edge, a clear-headed hardcore punk history. Tony Retman is on the show today, as I said, one of my one of my buddies, someone I've known for a very long time now, and, and one of my favorite writers, and I was not joking around on that. More on that in a second, but first... And foremost, I got to thank the fine people over there at Vans for sponsoring this show. Vans came on board a couple months back. They said, book whoever you want. Do your show as you see fit. We're just going to make it possible for you to do so without spending your own money, which is great because I've been spending my own money for a long time. So thank you very much to the fine folks at Vans for uh, letting me do this thing. And uh, understanding when uh, things get a little behind, like this week. You know, this week the show's a little behind, and I'll talk about that in a second, too. Uh, but first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can find me on various forms of social media, at Damien. If you use Facebook, there's a Turn Out of Punk Facebook page run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. Uh, new father as well, so send Tristan those congratulatory messages over there at Facebook where he runs that Facebook page, or, uh, you know, he also writes and runs the email address as well. So if you write me an email to the email address, Justin will write back to you. So he's also kind of the guy keeping the, the, the train on the tracks right now with Turnout of Punk as I've been traveling a lot lately. So, um, you know, you can send him messages over there. If you don't use Facebook and you still want to see some of the cool stuff that gets sent to the show and some of the stuff people post up on that Facebook page, we do have a Tumblr, uh, uh, tumblr.com slash, oh no, turnoutapunk.tumblr.com, I believe is the address. Yes, that's the address. Okay, so there you go. Uh, and if you would like to support this show, the best way to do so is by going to iTunes, subscribing to this podcast, writing a review, rating it. If you don't use iTunes, just tell your friends. Even if you use iTunes, just tell your friends about the show. Tell them about guests you enjoy, you know, uh, and, and conversate with, uh, with, you know, your fellow musician or music fans, I should say, <laughs> sorry, music fans, about uh, what, what's going on um, on the show. There we go. Okay, let's move on to today's show. Today's show is a little late. Yes, I understand that, but it's an awesome one. It's late because I just got back from Japan working on this wrestling show. Didn't see as many amazing you know, punk related things. Last time I was in Japan, I got to see gauze. I got to see Tessa and I got to go to that crazy record sale. Uh, I did buy some records this time, but it was decidedly more wrestling, but it led to the show being late. So I do apologize to everyone for that happening. Don't worry. We're gonna get back on schedule. Speaking of back on schedule, also turn out about turned out a punk footnotes. will be making its return this week. Hopefully I'm uh, going to talk to Chris and we will get on doing some turn out a punk footnotes and catching up on stuff and then getting that on a better, more regular schedule. If you are on the feed, you'll notice that there's a new episode of oil and flower Buddha blazes, amazing Canada's podcast that I happen to be just a co-host on, which is much better because he knows a lot more about what's going on with that plant than I do. Uh, so listen to that podcast. If you enjoy cannabis, even if you don't enjoy cannabis and you're still, you know, interested uh, enough in it 
to find out about what's going on. Because a lot of people who don't smoke cannabis ask me questions about it all the time. Uh, tune in that podcast. I talk about it a lot there because I don't have an opportunity to write everyone back that writes me questions about the cannabis stuff. So, you know, listen to that. Um, and that will hopefully answer some of your questions or write into that show too. Uh, but anyway, so I got back from Japan and I kind of jumped back into it. So I've got a lot of great guests coming up. I've been crushing it for podcasts lately. Um, got some cool, cool people coming up. Um, and one of them is my buddy, Tony Rettman. Now, Tony's someone who has been on the show before he was on our live in New York episode, but, uh, you know, he's got a new book out, so I had to have him on again. Uh, once again, his book, Straight Edge, A Clear-Headed Hardcore Punk History, is on Bazillion Points, which is a publisher that I am very familiar with. They put out a lot of great books, a lot of books that I love, a lot of books I have in my little library at home. And uh, if you're looking for gifts for me this year, then I'm sure there's other books that they have that I don't have that I love. Sorry, just knocked down uh, some buttons. Uh, but anyway. So, uh, not that you have to give me a holiday gift, but if you were looking for stuff to get me, you know, I, I like books. I like records, you know, hint, hint, wink, wink. I like cannabis. Uh, but this is not about cannabis. This is about straight edge. Uh, Tony, uh, himself no longer straight edge, but is someone that has been involved in that scene in, in punk music for a very long time has written this book. There's some controversy, you know, there's some people that are, upset that a non-straight edge person has written a book about straight edge history, but it's an amazing book. And I think, you know, there's, there's definitely room for a straight edge person to obviously write a book about straight edge, but this isn't really necessarily just about straight edge, you know, like it's more about the history of punk and hardcore and how this ideology, you know, interweaves throughout it. Um, it's a really cool book. There's a lot of awesome quotes and a lot of great people interviewed for it as well. So yeah, I strongly recommend picking it up. Uh, I think a lot of you probably have picked it up or are going to be getting it for the, the holidays and things like that. Um, but yeah, like I, I love, I love history books about music, punk music specifically, and I love oral histories and I love, yeah, I just love Tony's books. You know, I, I enjoy all three of the, his books, uh, and I've read them all, you know, more than once. Um, and it's also cool because, like, you know, there's that Revelation Straight Edge book that came out way back in the day, which was great little personal essays about stuff. But uh, Tony is a deep head when it comes to music. So this goes places that, you know, not a lot of, you know, uh, I don't know, conventional histories of Straight Edge talk about. Like a lot of bands that kind of get overlooked sometimes by, you know, a history which tends to be very American-focused in the official telling of. Um, so this is a great book. Strongly recommend picking up. This is a, that's a really good plug for you, Tony. I, I hope you enjoy that, man. I really went to town on that one. <laughs> it's, like he, it's like he's sponsoring the show or something. But anyway, I do really appreciate him coming on the show. Uh, this is a fun interview. It's like almost like a turn out of punk footnotes as well because we just nerd out and, and go deep. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Tony Rettman on Turn Out a Punk. Tony, thank you for coming back on the show for your second appearance, but first, like, legit, true, turned out a punk episode. Yeah, no, I feel uh, feel very honored right now. Oh, well, I say. appreciate that, my friend, when I, and oh. I feel, you know, like, I think this is, uh, you know, I'm a huge fan of yours, you know, I've read all your books, and you are now, you know, like, a, a, a an established punk historian author. Yeah, I mean, I think it's more 
people people uh, pushing that on me <laughs> rather than me like <laughs> standing on a soapbox proclaiming that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I guess that's what it says on my desk. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think the thing is like, you know, we're like, you know, I don't mean to put this on you if you don't take this yourself, but you know, I think we're from the generation of of punk nerds where it became, you know, acceptable to just like not even it became acceptable, but like we were just part of a generation that just immersed itself in the history and and kind of significance of punk music. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I agree. And I guess this is the uh, the final outcome. Like this, <laughs> this is uh, buying all those records and reading all the small print in every Maxim Rock and Roll. You know, finding out who Violent Apathy are. <laughs> like, all that stuff has led me to this, you know, golden egg. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like you're yeah. the one. <laughs> Who now has to deal with all these personalities that most of us just have to yeah as yeah legend. true yeah that is true that is like a dealing with that is kind of weird I mean some people uh, are a little you know think they're uh, think they're staking their claim is a little more than what it is sometimes but um you know everybody every you know the Al Bundy syndrome you know what I mean. Everybody's got to catch the uh, the touchdown once in a while, you know? Well, that's the thing, right? And, the, and everyone's got... <laughs> Does that make any sense? No, well, no, it does, because I, I think all these bands, on some level, thought that they were going to be, you know, like The Clash, or they were going to be, you know, maybe just Agnostic Front, or maybe just like yeah. Negative Approach, but they all thought that they were that band, so... I can imagine, you know, having to be the guy who has to place everyone in their, in their space in history. Sometimes you, yeah. you have to catch a lot of shit for that. Oh yeah, no, that is true. I mean, it it's not as it, honestly, it's not as bad as one would think, probably. But um, you know, it's just it, it's more like the. Uh, you know, assembling all this stuff and trying to put it together in history and, like, trying to keep everybody in. But, like, sometimes, you know, your uh, train-spotter-esque appreciation for things, you have to, like, push to the side. Like, you know, as much as I would have loved to had, you know, a 20-page chapter on Crackdown (laughs) in the New York Hardcore book, you know, uh, that would be kind of stretching it, you know? Yeah. So it's all in your mind as far as who you want to... who you want to acknowledge, I guess. But, I mean, I don't even look at it that way. Like, I don't know. I don't know if other people that, like, write about music look at it in that way. Like, oh, I'm picking this band to be important. But uh, maybe they do. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think I think on some level you kind of, even if you're not consciously doing it, it happens, right? Like, mm. but there's almost like a canonization, you know? Like, as you said, like, I love Crackdown. That seven inch is amazing. Like I never got to see them live, um, and apparently they were transcendent live. Yes, but, that is true. Yeah. But they're, <laughs> like they're not one of those bands that you know has been canonized in the same way that you know Warzone has, or yeah. Agnostic Front, or or later on, you know, um, I, I don't know, even like Box Cutter or something. Um, yeah. It's 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 interesting to see like yeah what bands become, you know taken up. But like I'm sure there are bands that you think, 
you know, because everyone has this that should have been number one. Like, there are those bands that oh, yeah. weren't the number one band that you're like, deep down, you're kind of like, yeah, but they, they were the best. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. And, like, I think that, I think of that in the way of, like, uh, you know, talking about, like, the late 80s kind of, like, straight-edge boom and hardcore where there was, like, you know, just, de- like, that, that started, I think, like, the glut of just, like, seven-inch, like, kind of, like, seven-inch records where it was just, like, all right, this is enough. Like, <laughs> when it got to, like, <laughs> the bad Midwestern, like, straight-edge bands, like, that's when you're, like, all right, it's had enough. But out of all those bands, like, there's bands that, like, did the form well. Like, they might have been generic, but they could, like, they should have been as popular as, like, uh, I don't know, like, um, I don't know. Like a like an instead or something like yeah. that, you know, like yep. like like a pushed it like pushed aside or something. Like these bands that were like really good in like little pockets. I always had this kind of idea, which I never acted upon, but I thought it would be kind of cool. Like you know, there's killed by killed by death and like whatever killed by Finnish hardcore. Like I yeah. wanted to put together like a a killed by like late '80s street edge demos, killed by edge. <laughs> yeah, no, I've always. I kind of always thought there should have been like killed by crossover and it just like, yeah. you look at like all the bands, like, you know, 80, 85 to like 89. And, yeah. you know, like, I think you know, like a band that kind of, I think it hits on what you're talking about is blind approach from yeah. that, that band to me and is Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're amazing. But like, if they were from New York, I think they would be looked at very differently than they are given the fact they're from Minnesota, even though they have like an amazing lineage and like, you know, Matt Hyde, of course, but like, I still think if that band had been from New York, like it would be talked about in, in the same breath that you talk about all the great New York bands. No, I agree. Totally. And like, that's why when they did like come, they came to New York once or twice and people really dug them. Like they were, you know, they were like accepted. So yeah, they would have been like, they would have been, um, they would have, yeah, they would have been like an outburst, I would say. Yeah. Like they would have been like on that, like, le- like not to say, but you know what I mean, like the yeah, cool esoteric band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like outburst or uh, abomination or something like that. Yeah, totally. But that's what's interesting is like there are those little pockets of bands that are like, oh, if they were just from like a different place, they probably would have been popular, you know? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Well, it's yeah, it's, weird. It, it's funny what like, what you know bands become popular in which area and how that kind of like dictates all the stuff around them you know like de- depending mm. on what band becomes kind of like the quote-unquote like kings of the scene that will dictate who becomes popular in the periphery bands yeah no i could see that and then it's like a definitely again like the late 80s where it was like it seemed like for the first part of the 80s like New Jersey and New York were like t- polar opposites. Like there was no New Jersey band that'd be like, "Oh, I'm influenced by like a New York band," you know? Like mm-hmm. it was like the super like buy like the buy our records like suburban, you know, um, snot kind of thing. Like the suburban thing against like the New York street thing. Mm-hmm. But then like '85 and on, like then like that reverses. Like then like New York influences like whatever every band like turning point release vision whatever you know mm-hmm. all those bands you know it's like a reversal like the, <laughs> the suburbs finally accepted 
the streets or something <laughs> like that. <clears throat> and New Jersey, though, has always had, like, it's ama- it's amazing, and this might just be being a Canadian and not being from America, but, like, kind of like your vision of what New Jersey is versus to what it actually is in reality when you finally get to go there. Yeah. Uh, but also just, like, you know, on, on sort of, like, the myopic punk tip, like, it's amazing how much amazing stuff comes out of that state. Like, that really is like on a state level, the capital of punk in America. Mm, I'll take it. You know, like, <laughs> but like, if you, like <laughs> you know, if, like you're talking about the misfits, you're talking yeah. about, you know, like buy our record stuff. Um, but yeah. you could also like mother records was happening at the same time. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's, you know, like all the, uh, the connection on that, uh, mental abuse kind of scene to urinals, the, the urinal, yeah, the record urinal stuff. records. Yeah. You know, it's yeah, it, yeah. it's amazing, like, how much stuff comes out of there. And still to this day, how much stuff comes out of New Jersey. Oh, yeah. I think it was, like, as far as that goes, like, you know, whatever gets, like, hardcore is, like, thought of now. Like, that was, like, a suburban phenomenon, I think. Like, so, <clears throat> like, it would be, like, Southern California, and that would be, like, New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like that, like in like the total like blues music of the suburbs. Like, what are your protest songs about? Guys in Trans Ams who like park over three parking spaces, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, high issues that matter and jocks. Yeah, exactly. Like those are our protest songs. So, <laughs> yeah, New Jersey definitely had that like suburban wise ass kind of thing, and definitely like relatable in that. As much as I loved, you know, the Cro-Magnon from, like, I am not that. Like, and I know I'm not that, and I'm not going to pretend to be that. Like, I love those bands, but I know I'm not that. So, <clears throat> definitely, like, the Adrenaline D Bedlam uh, vibe was more like, oh, I get this. Like, this is me, whether I like it or not. Um, so, but New Jersey does yeah. have that, too, right? Like, then, like, because later on, you've got... Fury of Five and, and you know, um, E-Town e- Concrete, right? They're from, are they from Pennsylvania somewhere? Yeah, well, no, no, they were, I mean, the E, I thought, stood for Elizabeth. Oh, that's right, you're right. Elizabeth North Jersey, Jersey. so yeah. I think so. Yeah. But I don't, like, yeah, that stuff is, I mean, I'll be very honest, that's all, like, out of my, out of, out of my wheelhouse. Like, <laughs> that, like, that's just, you know, I'll admit, like, there's, like, a cutoff with me with like hardcore sort of in the mid nineties. And then I kind of come back in somewhere in the 2000s, like early two thousands. But like, um, yeah, like that stuff is just like, I don't, I remember those guys coming, like we, me and Charles Maggio, Maggio from Rorschach and this guy, Matt guard owned a record store in New Jersey in like <clears throat> mid eight, mid nineties called sound on sound. And like the silk screening company TVT was in the back. And, like, I just knew those bands from, like, dropping off to get their T-shirts done. Like, E-Town Concrete. And, like, you know, seemed like nice guys. I don't know. But I don't, I mean, I wouldn't know what one of those songs sounds like if, like, if you put a gun to my head. I, I honestly couldn't identify it. But, what about Social Decay? Did you ever see Social Decay? Yeah. They play a lot. Like, yeah. I don't know. Why? Is that, like, do people care about that band? I don't yeah. even know. Do oh, they? yeah. That band's oh, become... Wow. That demo is like a big money demo that 7-inch goes for, not a lot, but like, you know, it's kind of sought after now. Um, yeah. They've become like, kind of like, you know, once again, like, and, and I think it's it's probably the distance too that 
has helped this happen, but they've become like one of those bands that people just kind of yeah, like, uh, like sort of lust for and, or not lust for, hmm. I should say, but like just kind of people are into like one of those bands that people are kind of fascinated by. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I remember seeing them. I don't, I'll go back and listen. I'll go back and listen to their demo <laughs> online or something. I don't, there's a lot of bands that are like that, like that were yeah, as years go on, they're like legendary and you're like, okay, but like, you know, all that stuff kind of came into perspective for me when like, when, again, when I worked in this record store, like every once in a while, some kid would be like, oh, like, I really love the It's for Life compilation. I'd be like, oh, boy, <laughs> like, you, you need some help. Um, <laughs> it was just very like, okay, whatever. And, but then it didn't make sense to me until like, you know, when I find some like, weird dude in New Jersey who put out his own record. I, I called the number on the back and he would just be like, why do you care about this? Like, <laughs> this is, this is ridiculous. And I was like, Oh, I'm the weird guy with the number on the record now. I get it. Um, but yeah, no, I, um, but seriously, like it made me realize like, Oh, like there's a history here that people are almost like creating on their own. Like, mm-hmm. And and that's cool. I, I I think that's that's what I was doing as well. Is just like in my mind, these records are really important. But I'm sure when they came out, nobody really cared. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's like not, it, it's it's almost like you you need that next generation to to go through that process of yeah of of like saying no, this is amazing to before you can yeah. kind of like go back and be like yeah, I don't know. I, was, I guess I was a little too close to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, I mean, doing the, the, the straight edge book has definitely been like that to me. Like, just like a lot, listen to a lot of bands that I hadn't listened to in years just because like I heard them every weekend. So yeah. Like, yeah. it was something like getting back into it being like, Oh, like, all right. Like, I appreciate this still. Like it's, it's good, but it is like some, some times doing that, that book was like too close to the situation. Like really? Like I'm going to like, interview somebody that's I've known for years, like about something that we talked about when we were kids, like, all right, let's see how this goes. Um, but I think it went well and it is, it's just, you know, being close to the situation sometimes can be, you know, can fog the, uh, fog the memories. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. No, I think that's the thing is like when you're, when you're close to it, you also have like personal feelings attached to it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, totally. and, and, and and like it's hard to separate yourself from those personal feelings, I guess. Like, it, you know, and like to to kind of look at things objectively, and I think that's maybe when you know you've kind of hit that point in your kind of musical development when you meet that younger kid that comes up and starts talking to you about a band that you thought was completely insignificant and no one would ever care about, and they're talking about them being one of the greatest bands of all time. Yeah, and you either have to be like. Like nod politely, <laughs> like sure, okay, because that's yeah. you know if that's what if that's what he thinks, that's what he thinks. I mean, that's cool, but yeah, in in your mind, you're like, I don't really, hmm, maybe I had a blown speaker wire or something. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't remember that record being that that amazing. But you know, that's that's probably how this, all this stuff starts. You know, like I doubt, like was there somebody in like whatever, the late 70s, who was buying every punk single and being like, this is good, this is bad, this is good, this is bad. It was like when the whole, like, Killed by Death thing happened that people started to, like, 
dig through that stuff more probably. And then like that's this collector history comes from maybe. I don't know. Yeah, like I guess punk is one of those weird things where I've I've always been kind of fascinated because there seems like there was a collector culture built into it from the from the start, right? Yeah. Like you look at those yeah, yeah, yeah. stiff records, they all say like you know, like collectible and they all have like they do limited color vinyl for some stuff and Yeah. It really felt it felt like, you know, and then it's like songs about record collecting really early on too. But but yeah, yeah, like it's it wasn't until that kill by death era that I think, you know, people really went through that process of like like making the uh the nuggets of punk rock. Like I mean the nuggets yeah. compilation of punk rock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think it 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 was like it just I think it broadened the spectrum a little more and I think at that point it was just like hardcore collector people that knew whatever, like the urinals or something like that. But then like once those compilations came out, like more more people found out about it and I think that like opened up the market more for like people paying ridiculous amounts of money for those records. But hey. Well, that's still happening now, right? Like, I think that's the thing is, like, it really hasn't hit a ceiling for some of these record no. prices. No, no. I saw something, was it, like, yesterday that, they're, they're, like, a red vinyl break down the walls went for, like, $1,000 or something. Yeah. I was like, it's that stuff's just, okay. like, wow. Yeah. Like, the rev stuff's, yeah. like, insane. Because it's, like, some of that stuff's not even that rare, like, and it goes for, like, thousands, or, like, hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I think it's also, I think, like, Revelation and Schism are are sort of to blame for, like, what I was talking about before. Like, once kids are like, oh, like, it's that easy to do a 7-inch? Like, then there was, like, 90 million, like, 7 inches of X's all over them. <laughs> like, coming out of nowhere. You're like, oh, crap. And that was also I the think era, too, yeah. right? Because, like, people were able to sell through, like, 2,000 copies of a 7-inch, you know? Like, some of those Osron records that Felix on Havoc did, they must have pressed, like, 10,000 of them. Like, 11,000 wow. of them. Yeah, I guess so. That was, like, the time. Yeah. To, to like, really, ma like, yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. that was a boom. That, that was, like, a, definitely a, a boom in, like, a lot of records coming out. Because then, w with that, there's also, like, the Amrep and the Sub Pop stuff, which was also, like you know, super collector driven, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's kind of weird, but it's weird because I, I wonder if like, when you think about that stuff, like when they're doing limited amounts of records, it's because like, Oh, like touch and go, like the first, whatever, five touch and go records, you only pressed like a like few hundred. So we're just going to do that. Like, <laughs> because we want to kind of follow that, whatever that route. But like those guys only pressed 300 of that record. Cause like they thought, only 300 people would care, like, or 500. So, like, when you're doing, like, 500 of, like, one colored vinyl and be like, oops, it's all gone, but here, it's, like, buy it on another colored vinyl. And I'm yeah. like, you know, you're like, I need all of them. And that's, and that's called cornering the market. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't well, know. That's still the trick but to this day, right? Like, there's, like, people um, now, like, there's, like, record labels now that are kind of, you know, surviving on the fact that they can put out a record on 12 different colors of vinyl and the fans will buy all 12. Yeah, yeah. And the bundles. Yeah, the bundles. And there's the bundle, bundle packs. Don't forget those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is, to me, yeah. that's like, uh, 
I don't know. Like, I don't know if that, how is that even record collecting at that point? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you're getting it all in one big clump. Yeah. It's not really collecting. Yeah, no, collecting. I agree. Just like, I know that I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, it's just acquiring at that point. Yeah, exactly. I know, like, was it, and this is no diss on any record label or anything, but like, I remember there was some label that did like a reissue, one, some record that I sold, and I was like, oh, well, okay, they redid it. Like, I'll just buy it. I want it on vinyl. And like, I couldn't fucking figure out how to find just, like, just buy the record off of their website. It was like, <laughs> but I don't want the bundle red vinyl scarf set. Like, it was like, all I want is the record. And like, that's, I guess that's another thing is like the bundle. That's like the big, uh, the big collector thing. But yeah. I don't know. I guess that's a, the equivalent of just like buying records off of Discogs or eBay. Like you're just like, oh, I have it now. That wasn't that wasn't tough. Like, yeah, I'll just buy it. Yeah, that became Thank like you. a you know when you, and you can tell someone who's got that record collection where you go through and it's just all hitters and doesn't feel <laughs> organic yeah. at all. You're just like, oh, yeah. cool. I guess <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. you're only into the best records of all time. Yeah. Oh wow. You've really yeah. Uh, you've you've done the, you've done all your homework. This is great! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Exactly. And that's a, that's a, the same thing as like people who collect records and don't listen to them. Where it's just like, all right, you have ten of this record, ten of these, ten of these. Do you listen to all ten at the same time? Like, uh, I don't know. Well, I say this you know, as people, someone who stares at my collection with ten copies of the first Teenage Head seven inch. So I'm in no position to judge. <laughs> I think it's more like, or something like that. I should follow it up by being like, you have like ten copies of a certain record, but you don't like own an actual turntable. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I don't get this. That doesn't make a lick of sense. Um, but yeah, I don't know. So, do you uh, do you want to talk about the book at all? Or? <laughs> yeah, well, we can. We, ta- we definitely talk about the book, but we also had, didn't even do the beginning of the show properly, where I'm supposed to ask you how you got into punk. Uh, uh, okay we can do that too um uh but yeah like so i guess we could uh we could rewind and and go yeah like we kind of did the live show a little bit but you were into this stuff really young right like you were going to these shows like you got to see stuff like you know it's come up a few times already in this podcast that most people your age wouldn't have seen no i mean again i mean you know, my my brother, who is 12 years older than me, was the guy that got me into punk. I mean, he was just sort of, you know, I don't know. When I was really little, I'm talking like five years old, he was in high school. And he was just sort of like, the, he was sort of like a, you know, maybe like a like a Buddy Bradley-esque <laughs> character. Like flannel shirts and, you know, Aerosmith records and stuff. But he, um, you know, read a lot of Cream magazine and everything else and found out about punk and etc etc punk leads to hardcore um i kind of get interested because he's my older brother and yeah like at 11 he took me to see black flag in 1984 with uh saccharin trust and the october faction hell of a first show um (laughs) really like that was some uh, that was some hardcore man let me tell you Um, was your brother uh, already like though like he was already going to shows by this point that he brought you right oh yeah yeah he was um he was like djing some of these shows because he was friendly with the the local promoter so yeah he was like 
already pretty deep in. Like he saw, you know, he saw like Black Flag. The well, not the first time, but like the time that they toured right before Henry joined. Like they played at City Gardens and uh, Dead Kennedys in the spring of '81. Saw a lot of cool stuff. Like, so he like, saw a lot of like cool shows. So he and he's bringing the home these kind of I imagine signposts of this new culture. Were you like, as a kid, what were you? Were you like? I imagine you're already musically aware, but like, were you kind of like drawn to it because of the graphics or is it really that first time you go and see it live that that's when the, the light bulb kind of goes off? Oh, uh, no. I mean, before that, when he brought those records home and also like he had a friend, it was a guy he who was on like the same college radio station as him who like graduated and then like moved back to Southern California and he moved there just when like whatever hardcore was taking over yeah so, like sending a lot of mixtapes and like sending tapes of like the rodney on the rock show um so that was kind of my first time hearing it was like on these cassettes so it wasn't even their actual records but yeah i don't know i kind of remember gel like jealous again i remember hearing black flag jealous again like like i have a very distinct memory hearing that for the first time and i don't know why like as it may like a nine-year-old kid i was like yeah <laughs> I totally get what these guys are talking about um but I, yeah i mean that was it and then like uh, you know down the line like him and the other thing was like he was the program director at the college radio station so he was like getting like whatever like the way all that stuff probably spread was like oh like I'm going to call ST Records and, like, see if they'll send records. And, like, Chuck Dukowski, like, oh, you got to talk to the guys, these guys in D.C. or these guys in, like, Michigan. And then, like, so the Touch and Go and the Discord 7 Inches are coming home. And um, and then, like, that stuff was pretty cool. And then, like, he just started bringing home tons and tons of records. And, uh, like, the ones that I remember that I was just, like... So, you know, it was one of these things where I actually didn't... I looked at these records before I heard them because, like... He had, like, a turntable, but it only could work through, like, headphones, so I could never hear it. So eventually I would hear the records on, like, his radio show, or I would go down to the radio show and um, hang out with him and hear him then. But, like, I remember looking at the back cover of Flex Your Head and being like, whoa, like, not trying to, like, what's going on? I can't figure this out. Is it, like, a fight? What is it? <laughs> but I remember just being like, this is cool. And then, like, here, like, and then, like, looking at the back cover, like, uh, SSD control, get it away, and just, like, looking at those pictures, like, oh, my God, like, guys look so cool and then like once you hear the record you're like oh phew <laughs> they're actually really good like <laughs> great um but yeah so that was yeah he just kept bringing home records and i was just really into it and he was like he wasn't strictly like a hardcore kind of dude but like those were the records that i like i could understand in a way like when he played like the birthday party that was just like sounded just like a bunch of noise or like the pop group or something like i just I couldn't comprehend it, but like the like the hardcore stuff, like I definitely connected with that um, big time. Yeah, and that's such like, it's like such a golden era for you know like American co American college radio too. To like oh yeah, totally. like all the yeah. bands you mentioned, like all existing in the same sort of universe. Um, yeah, you know, like what yeah. an amazing time. <laughs> yeah, and also like an amazing time right before like everything. Like, it would be so quick for everything to be, like, uh, compartmentalized. You know what I mean? Like, in, like, like oh, you like this? Like, you like this, 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 and band, then you're a hardcore guy. Like, oh, you're this, you're, like, a goth. You're, like, 
like an industrial guy. You know what I mean? Like you could see that happening at college radio stations where like the guys, these were like, you know, oh, I'm the hardcore DJ. I'm like the industrial guy. Yeah. Um, you know? And like, that was it. Like it seemed right after that, that's when like everything became like more um, congealed or like put in part, like put in departments or something. I don't know. Cause I, like you could like, you know, look at those issue, early issues of touch and go like, they're like so mixed up but then all of a sudden it's just like all punk and hard like american hardcore records and like oi records are viewed in there you know like yep yep kind of interesting well that's when it's like yeah codified because you hear those stories about like early liverpool shows and how like peter murphy was going to the shows with like the punk kids and like you know there wasn't that like oh i'm a i'm a industrial dude and I'm like <laughs> yeah. a, a straightforward punk dude, and I'm the skinhead dude. Like I'm sure there were those people there, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah. there weren't enough of them to be like, okay, well, I'm not going to hang out with you because you're not one of us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that that did kind of become what it was, you know. Uh, later on, definitely, you know. And, and but, it almost went back yeah. to that stage in the '90s. Like it almost like it wasn't like when I first got into it, it wasn't really popular enough for everything to be factioned off at that point. Like it kind of got factioned off again in the more recent years. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, was it factioned off in the nineties cause of like grunge or something or just like, well, I kind of got into it in- just after grunge. Like that's when I started going mm-hmm. to like, like hardcore shows and like, I think post green day kind of, you know, popularity explosion, it almost, mm-hmm. you know, there was all that warp Tour stuff, which did really well, but, like, the actual, like, hardcore shows in Toronto were drawing, like, maybe 50 people. Maybe yeah. if Crudos came, you could get 200 people out, but mm-hmm. that was because they were, like, the Led Zeppelin of the DIY hardcore world at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. it was kind of like a, it kind of had troughed a little by that, by the, uh, you know, 1996, 1997 period. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And then, like, I don't know. I think about that 96, 97 period. And also, like, I guess, was there, like, a tipping off point for, like, the whatever would be considered, like, the basement rock? Like, proto screamo or whatever? Like, well, we had great. That seemed like, like that we invented died out. that here. Like, great is from Burlington, Ontario. Oh, okay. And so they were kind of like, to me, you know, like, that's their sound, that, that sort of, like, you know, poppy emo with like really harsh screaming vocals on top like mm-hmm. writes a spring but taken to that next kind of <laughs> ext- yeah, yeah, yeah. extreme type thing um so that stuff was happening here but like they were at that point much more popular in america than they were mm. around these parts yeah huh. i don't know i'm thinking more of like the gravity like gravity records <sighs> oh, stuff because like yeah you think about like antioch arrow or something like at that point they do like that weird like goth record, but uh yeah. Yeah. and it just kinda like dies down. And like all those bands kind of become something else, like the VSS and all that stuff. Like I don't know. But that was to, to me like for us was that was like what that scene kind of became. <laughs> okay. What was that? The Death from Above nineteen seventy nine was what Oh, okay, okay, I got you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they were like the right. uh Standing Eight was Jesse Keeler's band back then. That was like his locust style mm. band. Okay. That and then, right, cool. then they became this band. So they that's where it kind of graduated for, for us sound wise. Maybe it was just here that things were that popular. But yeah, uh, that was another like um like 
the like that mid '90s sort of like gravity thing. That was like that was that was like my last like interest, or like that was like right after I was like, eh, I'm kind of done with this for now. <laughs> that was kind of my last like hurrah, like you know, like I don't know. All those bands are really good live. Like Antioch Arrow sounded horrible, but they looked really cool. Like that was one of like they always looked really cool, and they were like seemed like they those guys all seemed genuinely weird. Like yeah. Like all these guys in like heroin and like Antioch Era, they all just seemed like legit weirdos. Like it wasn't an act. So uh-huh. I thought that was pretty cool. And they like they wore the Bobby Brady look before most people did. So you know, <laughs> like the stripe, the tight striped shirt with the brown like brown pants and the the Oxfords, you know, white belt or whatever, you know. And the Romulan haircut. Like, yeah, they were the first people to do that. I would yeah, say. I would give it. I would give it to them. Yeah, style, um, tra- style blazers, trailblazers, and that stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I know. I know where I was going with that. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, that's like it, it's no, no. I know and that was kind of like one of the last real interesting periods of newness in hardcore and punk. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. maybe Definitely power violence that. too, which is right around. Yeah, too. Yeah. But I think also again it's like a glut thing where like like those gravity records come out and there's like uh like unleaded records and all these other labels that seem to be doing something cool. But then like a year later it's like, Oh fuck, like another record silk screened on a piece of burlap. <laughs> like No In the same way that like after a year like, Oh, another record with like a guy with an X on his hand. Oh man, like jeez. <laughs> it's enough already. Like, it's always like that glut period. And then like, but I don't know, is, it, is somebody like, in the same way everybody like collects the glut and then picks like the good stuff, like, is there some kid who's going through all the 90s like, screamo records or like, basement rock records like oh this is the good one, this is the bad one. <laughs> well I'm sure that's yeah. happening right now, right? Like, you know, I think people... You know, like, I'm, I'm sure there's, like, a scene of bands that are trying to recreate that sound exactly right wow. now. That's cool. Like, it's weird. Like, <laughs> That's cool. It's, like, this mo- moment of, like, super hyper-focus in punk where everyone's, like, you know, like, there's, like, a, a genre-specific band for every genre now of someone who's, like, trying yeah. to recreate an era. Yeah, exactly. And they, there's, like, one guy who's doing ten bands, yeah. <laughs> like, every band is, like... This is my Boston 82 band. Yeah. This is my uh, new breed compilation style band. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I see that a lot. Yeah. Um, but like, when yeah. did you, you know, talking about that whole straight edge thing, when did you actually go straight edge? Hmm. Um, well, I mean, I like, like I said, I, I liked like the SSD record. My brother brought it home and like DYS Brotherhood and Minor Threat and like, I think, you know, I was like 11 or 12 years old. I don't think I really had the right to call myself straight edge at that point. I don't know. But but I did have, like, um, older brothers and sisters who were in high school and college. So, like, I was, like, a kid kind of witnessing, like, this, you know, whatever, high school kind of party lifestyle. And uh, it just didn't, like, as a kid, it didn't appeal to me. Like, uh, it just seemed like a lot of work. <laughs> that was, like, the main thing. It's like... Like, your parents go out of town, like, oh, you got to find somebody to get the beer, and then they bring it back, and then, like, how to dispose of the beer bottles, and then, like, there was one time where, like, my sisters had a party and, like, broke a broke a window in the house and, like, had to make up this lie that I, like, 
broke the window taking the garbage out. It was like I was like, man, this is a lot of work just for like, just so you can drink beer. Like, I got to be the the scapegoat too. Like, so maybe that's it too. Maybe that's why I had a problem with it. But um, but then like once whatever that that first wave of hardcore kind of like dies out, and then like Youth of Today and Bold and all that stuff came out, and also before that like um like minor threat but i also liked you know like stalic 13 like all these bands were kind of forming around the country or mostly in california that seemed like influenced by like boston and dc like i really liked like ill repute and you know all these bands that kind of worked around the uh template of minor threat so there was those bands kind of interest me and then like then when 1985 passes and then there's like youth of today and uh like uniform choice and all that stuff when it becomes more or less, yeah, when it kind of becomes codified. And also, like, when I do get to a point of, like, in junior high where that stuff is around, like, then I felt like, all right, like, I can call myself straight edge, kind of. So, um, yeah, so that was kind of it. Like, I think I just finally called myself straight edge when, like, honestly, it was just, like, all these bands were forming and just seemed like it was going to be a real, I don't know, like a real bubble within the scene. I don't know. I kind of wanted to... uh, ride the wave i guess so yeah that was when when that happened were there other kids around you that you kind of saw that would later become part of this scene that you'd like just knew from like high school and things like that uh well they kind of yeah i mean not to be like i was the first or anything but it was mostly like me kind of getting people into it so yeah. like well no you're so person, young getting into yeah that. the one person that was sort of like there with me who was in the same grade as me uh was this guy named chris schuster who ended up being in mouthpiece and you know he was my same age and started going to shows like he built a like a skate ramp in his backyard but then like through skateboarding i met other kids that weren't like i don't know like they were skateboarding but they weren't hardcore and i was like i don't get that (laughs) it just seemed (laughs) weird to me um so i kind of i got them into hardcore and like that would be like Tim McMahon, who sang for Mouthpiece and things for Search now. And um, all the guys that would be, well, not all the guys, but like the, the drummer Jason and a bunch of kind of like people there. It was almost like I, I willed the crew in a way. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> that kind of like formed something in our high school of like kind of a, I guess, like a straight edge contingent. And then like Tim and I did this fanzine called Common Sense. And then, like, that kind of, we did a couple issues, and it kind of, like, died out, and then he got, you know, then Mouthpiece kind of, like, kicked into high gear. But, um, yeah, that was sort of, like, the that, that was our little thing. And then, like, it was, it was, like, that happened. And then, like, you heard about, like, Turning Point going on, doing, a like, in South Jersey, because those guys were already in a couple bands that had demos out, like, uh, Pointless and Failsafe. And then, like, it was, it was kind of the same thing. Like, all of a sudden, they, like, just got really into Youth of Today and, like, New York Hardcore. And, like, oh, we're going to, like, stop doing these bands. We're going to do this band. And then, like, all this stuff started to form like that. And, like, Enough and uh, Release and, like, Vision were always there. They were kind of, like, always, uh, yeah, for that late, like, that second part of the 80s in um, New Jersey, they were definitely, like, the... The, the, I don't want to say Kings, that would be weird, but they were definitely like the big band for us, you know? Well, their um, first 70s so, was like 86 too, right? Like they were around earlier than... Yeah, 
the boom. Yeah, and before yeah, and before that, before that, those guys had a band called Neurotic Impulse. Okay, they were really really good. They were kind of like voidish, and uh, they put they did a demo. Or just demos. They did a they did a demo with one of the greatest demo names ever. Fight the fight. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely like if that's some Mad Lib stuff, <laughs> blank the blank. Um, but it had like um, I want to say it had like two of the guys, two or three of the guys from Vision, and one of the guys from uh, Pete from Sticks and Stones was in that band. Oh wow, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, I had that demo, and I don't know what the hell ever happened to it. But um, so yeah, all this stuff started to kind of form. I would say like like w- with other bands that were kind of like straight edge, like um, turning, like I said, like Turning Point, Release, and Enough. Yeah, like eighty eight, eighty nine, like it all started to like come together in a way. And mm-hmm. like all those other bands that were before, like Bedlam had already broken up, like AOD was already like doing Ishtar. Um <laughs> and you know, all those all those by our bands were kinda like gone. So it was like sort of like a new uh a new dawning or whatever, because all those bands are you know, by that point by our is putting out like the Pussy Galore twelve inch or uh you know, stuff that definitely wasn't like Hardcore or something. Were you like, feeling uh, that Pussy Glow record at all, or no? Was that just? Like, oh yeah, I love that shit. That's yeah. my favorite. That's my favorite Pussy Glow record. Is the one Byard put out. It has that song "Spin Out" on it. I love that song. No, I loved all that stuff. Like I, I never got that like, um, whatever narrow minded or something. Like mm-hmm. all the stuff my brother would play me that if I liked it, I liked it. Like you know, and I remember, like the first time Mudhoney <clears throat> came to the East Coast, like I went with him and, like, snuck into the court tavern to see them, and they were great. But then, like, the funny thing was, like, two or three years later when they're touring on, like, the second or third record, like, all these guys who were, like, had broken straight edge by that point were going, like, were at the Mudhoney show and I was there, too, and he's like, oh, like, I guess you're going to be bored, man, because you, like, you missed your hardcore. I was like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> like... I saw them back then when you were, like, Mr. Hardcore. Um, <laughs> but... No, I don't, like, yeah, no, I was definitely, Pussy Galore I was definitely into, like, a lot of stuff that my brother played, like, I liked, whatever, yeah, like, Big Black, and most stuff on Touch and Go, and all the Discord stuff, and Laughing Hyenas, like, mm-hmm. that was amazing, you know, so, yeah, no, definitely not just, like, not just, like, whoa, this release demo is awesome, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but it's funny, cause I was, that's I was like, more than that. But you're, you're like, that's, that's rare, right? Like it didn't, from like my conversations with other people from that time period, it's like the, the two shall never meet type thing. Like you're one of the few people I guess that was crossing over. Oh yeah. No, I definitely got a lot of like crap for like whatever you get, getting to my car and it wouldn't be like a Gorilla Biscuits tape playing over and over again. Like, (laughs) no, I definitely, like if I went to go see something that wasn't hardcore i definitely heard about heard you know heard something from a few people about it but uh yeah it's weird because i think hardcore was always this thing of like i mean don't get me wrong like i was really into it and then like when i definitely was like i'm kind of done with this for now like that's when i feel i became like a music fan you know what i mean like i just liked anything like it didn't matter so i definitely think that's what happens like people get super into like hardcore and then like all of a sudden <clears throat> like it's just so much that they just like break out of it and just get into other you know other forms of music i guess it's the same way with some people with, like straight edge like they're so into straight edge that they finally break it and become like 
total drug addicts. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just one extreme to the other. Yes, exactly. I th- I believe so. But yeah, it definitely was uh, different. I mean, it was so different in the way that like I did a fanzine on my own before Tim and I did one, which was sort of diverse, like, you know, in an issue I'd interview, like, Youth of Today, and then I would interview, like, Steve Albini or something, like, it was something like that. But then, uh, but then all of a sudden I felt like I had to, like, join the, the crew in a way or something, like, oh, I gotta do this scene. So, like, because, like, no one's really into the idea of this whole, let's like everything. <laughs> So <laughs> let me narrow let me narrow my interest down to whatever. Get some friends, who knows? But um, yeah, but yeah, I definitely was not totally like hundred percent hardcore most of the yeah. It's like you and Noiseville Records, and that's really the only two uh, crossovers between <laughs> the hardcore scene and the like. Noiseville. That's funny you should say that because I remember when they put out the breakdown demo on a seven inch, and my brother was like, "Should I?" Buy? Like, because he bought anything on Noiseville, so he's like, "Should I buy this? Would I like it?" And I'm like, ah, "I don't know." And then it's funny because it's the same question years later, like when like Pooch puts out the Running Scared demo or whatever. Like, my brother's like, "Should I buy this?" I'm like. Actually, I think you would like it more now. So, yeah, maybe you should. Back then, you would just think it was stupid. Now you'd be like, oh, this is stupid. I like it. I get <laughs> um, it. I get it now. Yeah. Exactly. It only took, like, till age 55 to finally get <laughs> breakdown. I wish I wish I could get to that point. Well, like, I wish, like, that, like, I didn't understand them now. <laughs> get to, like, it was a long trudge to finally, like, at one, in the middle of your life, be like, oh, now I get it. Now I get this. This uh, is fucking amazing. Exactly. Yeah, I still I still have those like records and bands. Like for me, it's like recently the Japanese X. Like that's just a band I had mm-hmm. no idea about, and I'm like, oh, here's this whole band that's huge that I can now discover. <laughs> yeah, how how's that going? It's going pretty good. I pretty much wrapped it up. <laughs> you know? oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't say I really like go go to that extreme anymore. Where I just like find one band and just just go like you know knee deep into it like I, you know maybe like maybe in the past few years in the way of like oh like everybody told me like the first four Uriah Heap record Uriah Heap records are good but everything else after that is crap like maybe I should listen to the ones after that and uh they're crap <laughs> <laughs> they're okay some of them are pretty but like that's what I mean is it's like I don't know. I think my days are like just just finding one band and just like getting super into it. I don't know. Maybe hopefully hopefully I don't have that. It's not gone, but I don't know. I don't know if I if I could ever do it again. Just like get totally obsessed with something. I don't know. Yeah, like I guess that's like the uh that's why you got to keep the search, right? So hopefully you do find that next band that rekindles that kind of excitement. Yeah. I think so. I hope so. I don't know. You know, but you I went can't... pretty deep, right? Like that's the thing is, like this is you, you flew too close to the sun, Icarus. <laughs> yeah, I think that's it. I you don't know. It's too much in this music world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's also you know, it's it's kind of sad that like Spotify can can really like you can find a lot of stuff on there <laughs> in the way of like it's almost a reverse buying guide. Like, oh, this is good enough that I would probably listen to this on a record. Like, yeah. So I will go look that up. But yeah. like, and definitely, I've 
discover more. You know, as far as I'm concerned, like there's well for like the uh, progressive, like the '70s progressive rock for me is never gonna like. That's never gonna die. I think I can I can really like dive deep into that stuff and always find even if it's like bad, I'm always you know more prone to that. So maybe I'll just uh, keep going with the prog rock. I don't know. Well, that's the thing. It's right. Like you find those genres that just do it for you, and then you can just mine them indefinitely yeah yeah and then it gets when it gets into the parts where you're like ah, i don't think this part this is very cool like i don't know if i want to listen to like symphonic prog rock or something <laughs> then you're like but you get to, you're like oh, i guess it's all right all right now i'm gonna go do this all right let's see how far this goes well that's let's the thing like, there's anyone else who wants to talk about this <laughs> you know well, well that's the thing it's like those streaming sites have changed like the way I listen to music now, where there's stuff that I would never have given the time of day to just because, like, I wouldn't have sacrificed the money to bring yeah. it home, where now I'm like, this is fucking sick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I do that for, like, for, like I use, like, streaming sites for also, like, for, yeah, checking out any kind of, like, rare prog rock that, like, I don't want to pay $800 for a record. Yeah. Or, uh, or like, um, you know, I like I like to watch a lot of reality television. You know, sometimes the they'll show what the the artist is, and I'll be like, oh, I'm gonna go listen to that on Spotify. <laughs> you know, like when I watch like you know Love and Hip Hop or something, when they play, oh, like oh that that single, oh, I'm gonna go listen to that because it sounded really bad. I want to yeah. hear how bad it is for five minutes. So, yeah. And then you never have to listen to it ever again. Yeah. Well, that's that's why that's why you do it. You do it once. You're like, all right, I did that. I'm not going to be tempted to ever do that again because I did it. That's it. Yeah, it's like it's like it, it was different when you committed to music because, like, you know, like, for instance, right now I'm surrounded by my records. Like, you know, every bad record I bought, it's still there in my collection, you know, unless I mm. sell it. But, you know, with the, with music, now there's, like, no ramifications. Like, you can listen to any crap you want now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You don't have to worry yeah. about it. <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to delete the MP3 afterwards. You're set. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No one ever, no one will ever know that I listened to this baby girl track, um, <laughs> or whatever. Well, because but, you, because you got yeah. into it so young, and because you were like kind of straight edge, you know, and, and into like calling yourself straight edge and 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 stuff at a young age. When you stop being straight edge, did you get a lot of shit from the people around you. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was like, you know, in the book, in the Straight Edge book, like, Ari Katz says something like, it's easier to leave, like, a Hasidic family, I think, <laughs> like, than to tell, tell your friends you're not Straight Edge anymore. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, totally. I mean, I don't know, it was weird. Like, I didn't, it wasn't like I came out and, like, told everybody, but, like, the rumors got out, and then it was less like, yeah, I lost I lost most of my friends. Yeah. <laughs> and like uh like dumb stuff like people putting like marijuana leaves on my car, like stickers, like stuff like that just like real like it was it was like being like kicked out of a family. <laughs> it was weird. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I don't know. From what I understand, it's not that big of a deal anymore now or like uh I don't know, there's no like how's your edge dot com or whatever anymore so but yeah i mean once once you did that you were kind of like 
demi- you were you were sent out, man. <laughs> like, and then you had to join. Like that was the whole thing. Like then you get sent out, and you're like kind of like pushed in with all like these pothead people, and you're like, really? I got to be with these guys? Like, come on. I mean, not that I didn't like smoking pot, but it was, was like there was like like we were talking about before, like those people that just like get totally out of stage and became like hugely into drugs and you're like i'm not like this guy come on like <laughs> i just like to smoke weed yeah. like i'm not this guy come on man um so yeah definitely it did cause an issue with people and like i don't know now as as adults i don't think we all we really don't give don't give a shit either way which is nice but i mean i think there's still there's i mean i don't think i know there's still like you know grown men who are like super in straight edge of like in their 40s who can't look somebody in the eye if they're drinking a beer or something, you know? Like, it's, it's very weird. I mean, I've, I've seen it. I've experienced it. But, I mean, I to me, that's like, that's your problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you need to lay on a couch somewhere and talk to somebody because you shouldn't care that much if someone drinks a beer that you're going to, like, stare at them or, like, not look at them while they drink it. That's, that's weird. I don't know. It's almost like breaking straight edge for, well, because, like, for... I don't know. How many people do you think, what percentage-wise, you know, you wrote the book on it, do you think wind up breaking straight edge? Like, it's it's got to be something wow. like 75%. Yeah, I would say, I, I hate, I mean, I'm sure everybody doesn't want me to say it, but I I think it is, and, like, I think it weighs heavier on that side of the breaking, I would think. I mean, and it matters how, like, how uh, anal you want to get about it, you know? Like, if a guy drinks a beer once and decides, like, meh, I don't like it, I'm being back to straight edge. Is he not straight edge anymore? No, he's round know, two. You know, he's round two. <laughs> round two. <laughs> that, that was a band. Round two. They were they were a straight edge band from Louisiana. Really? Um, yeah, I believe so. Were they all second round straight edge dudes? Like <laughs> they're all like dudes. <laughs> I don't know if they. Were, I don't know if that was the the premise of the band. I don't know, but I remember some band called Round Two that was like from like Baton Rouge or something like that. I remember the demo. I don't know. That's the thing is I can. You can say two two things, and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that was a band name. Yeah. <laughs> especially especially with that stuff, if you say like anything remotely sports related, you know, like oh, like full court press. Oh, that band had a demo. Exactly, <laughs> like, that know. band had a demo too. <laughs> there there yeah, several bands yeah, with that demo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely caused something, and like whatever, like it is. It's just something like oh, you go on one way, and then like it seemed like. After that, that's when it got, like, into the whole, like, on the other side of the coin, like, I went away, and then, like, it became full-on, like, the, f- like, floor punch, and uh, hands tied, and, like, all the, like, the revival kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and I just didn't, I remember, like, being, again, working in the record store, and, like, the floor punch demo, like, those guys bringing it in, like, it was cool, those guys are cool, but, like, that was just my whole thing, it was, like, I, personally, I just wasn't about to, like, do it all over again. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I was like, did it once. It's cool. I don't need to do it again. So, you know, then it, it, whatever, the revival thing happened, I think it just got, like, way more like, you broke edge, I hate you, kind of vibe, I think, got got stronger. But, well, that's like, yeah, definitely like the lyrical content of a lot of those bands. And I guess it's by that point, because a lot of those bands had been through it once. And, and now yeah. had fuel to write these songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I just, I don't know. And again, this goes back to what we're talking about. Like, now, 
these bands that I was like, eh, I don't know, whatever. I like Four Punch is considered, you know, a very important band in the history of hardcore. And, like, I I mean, it's not a diss. I, like, once they... Because it seemed like when those guys started the band, it was just like, oh, like, this will piss people off. It'll be funny. Like, like the legs that that thing had, it's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, really, really, t- really took off. But it was dis- yeah. divisive right out of the gate, right? Like they were like a huge band almost immediately, it seemed, and and also like a band that was despised. Uh, yeah, almost immediately. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I remember that. They, uh, yeah, but I think it was also like again, all that stuff started to happen at the same time, didn't it? Like there was that and like ten yard fight, yep. and uh, all that stuff started to like rain on the parade like all that stuff sort of formed a little scene so i think it, like that's why it, it took off so quickly you know i don't know i never saw like i saw floor punch once back then um they were good i don't know it was some show at middlesex college i don't know to be honest i was probably pretty high but um <laughs> were you at the uh the earth crisis show it, where oh uh, with the yogurt being thrown the yogurt the fat coats and everything <sighs> Dude, no. I was just talking talking to my wife about that the other night because I was like, the whole thing was the dude that wore the fur coat. You know the whole story. Like the dude who, who wore the fur coat in Stage Dove um, worked in the silk screening company behind the record store yeah. that, that we owned. So like, he was always like, "Oh, I found this fur coat in my mom's closet. I'm going to wear it to Earth Crisis show." And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, whatever, sure, yeah, yeah." Like I don't believe you. And I'm like, I'm definitely not going to sit through earth crisis to see you do this like and plus i think i had to work at the record store that day so i was like all right you're gonna wear a fur coat great whatever fine <laughs> and like sunday i remember i came to open up the store and it was just like the buzz like what happened that night and uh so i wasn't there but i've heard this story enough times that i you know i can tell it i can tell it in my mind and like i paint the picture the way i liked it you know <laughs> i'd like it to be that was but, written um, up in like AP magazine. I know, I, I know. And the the dude who um who did that, who wore the fur coat and stage dove, is the guy who put out the chain to thread uh, bleed split seven inch. Oh so, really? <laughs> there you go. Um, but yeah, that was. I mean, yeah, I wish I witnessed that. Kind of, kind of weird. It kind of sucks. That would have been funny. When you when you weren't strange anymore, had you already wrapped up Consequence Records? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think so, yeah, because what I did, I might have not been, I definitely was not, uh, let me think, really, yeah, because the last thing I think was like a Flagman 7-inch, I might have just stopped being straight edge or something, but then I stopped that. No, 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 the last release is the, uh, by thread tape. Chain of thread? Chain of thread tape, sorry, chain of thread. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 okay, so, all right. Fair enough. Somebody's looking at Discogs, <laughs> but uh, no, dude, I got to memorize, yeah. dog. Oh, good for you. I, got, um, I have that. Uh, that Breakaway Seven Inch was a uh, oof. was a it was a <laughs> tricky one for me as a young person to try and track down. And then when I finally tracked it, I got the bootleg. And there was a bootleg of that. Yeah, I, wow. I was going to ask you about that. That's got to be. I think it was bootlegged almost right when it came out. Hmm. Well, the whole story with that record. I feel bad about it, but like when we did Common Sense, uh, I was like um, pen pals and like talked on the phone with the singer Breakaway, and you go, "We're gonna break up," but we have this like these four songs. He's like, "Oh, we want to put that inside Common Sense," and like he, 
you know, I don't know, I feel bad. Like he sent me the reels and everything. They just, <laughs> just sat there. And then like, um, that dude who did teamwork, uh, Chris Kelly. Yeah. I was like, oh, like I have this breakaway seven inch and I don't know, like, you know, I don't know. And he was like, well, I love that breakaway seven inch. I'll put it out. I'm like, all right, fine. And it was almost like, you can put my, like, I really didn't want much to do with it. And, uh, but he put my name on the fucking record. And he put like Consequence Records on there. So he pretty much took over that. Like, I think maybe we did it. Maybe we put, I gave him half of the money for the first pressing and I got half or something, maybe. I don't okay. even remember. But I remember I had a bunch of them with no cover. And like, uh, this is something if you really want to find something rare. And this is this is kind of funny and it'll make people mad too. If you bring um, up the judge sleeve, I'm staring at it right now in my hands. Nope. Okay. <laughs> nope. Okay. Uh, there was a bunch that had no cover, and they just sat in my room when I lived with my parents. And like me and um, this dude that used to be in mouthpiece named Dave Rosenberg, somebody else, we just got really high and drew covers for them. <laughs> and like some of them might have gotten out into the world, maybe not. But it was just like dumb shit. Where like, I remember one drawing was like a picture <laughs> of guy in a football uniform, but he had a cat under his arm. And he was, like, running for a pass. And it was, like, who stole the cat EP. Like, we just wrote dumb shit on there. And, like, I think we, like, tried to get them out. Like, I would just put them in, like, Charles Maggio's, like, distro box at a show. Just to see if someone would be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> um, I didn't even know about a Judge 7-inch cover. So that's probably Chris Kelly who did that. So Yeah, there's 10, I guess, that have uh, a Judge sleeve, apparently. Like, I got this at a local record store. Um, and there was like a note saying like, Hey, we ran out of sleeves, but we've made this limited to 10 judge yeah. cover. Yeah, no, I didn't even know about that. I don't know. It's funny. Some guy, like I even, this is funny that you brought it up because like maybe about a year ago, like some guy just found me on Facebook and like, was like, Oh, I'm trying to find like every copy of the breakaway an inch on teamwork consequence. Like, and he's like naming off all the, the co like the pressings he has and like, I seriously had to go in my mind, like, did I put this record out? <laughs> <laughs> I think I had to text Tim McMahon, like, did I put out a breakaway record? <laughs> yes, you did. Oh, cool. That first seven inch was good. Yes, it was. Rabbit Lassie, like, just texting back and forth. Rabbit Lassie demo is good, too. Yes, it is. <laughs> She's like, oh. But, Unit um, Pride's sick. I feel... What's that? Unit Pride's fucking sick. Oh, yeah. I hated that record when it came out because I was like, oh, this is so generic. But then, like, whatever, 10 years later, I listened to him. Like, this is, again, like, great time capsule. Like, yeah. like, like Youth of Today inspired hardcore with songs about friendship and drug abuse. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. perfect. And they're playing um, shows with, like, Operation Ivy. It's, like, it's so weird to think of, like, you know, like, the bands that were doing this sound having to exist in scenes that weren't New York, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. Yeah, totally. And it it is weird. I mean, but I guess they had to coexist with that, with like the Gilman Street scene. Yeah. But I also think that's probably weird in the way that like, at least like Rabbit Lassie, like they were they were good, but they were kind of fit in with that like kind of Gilman scene. But then I think it's funny that all of a sudden they're like, now we're breakaway. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we have fucking flat tops. Like. Yeah. I wonder, like, I just wondered if, like, the people in, like, Operation Ivy and those bands were like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, <laughs> yeah. like the, oh, boy, guys, come on. Like, to change, like, they had, like, a rabbit lassie to break away, like, but, you know, I always find that stuff great. Like, I, I really, like, 
whatever like stuff like that when like in within hardcore like a band just changes like gears in that in that way of like oh like not that you're necessarily like jumping on a bandwagon but just like totally like left field kind of thing you know like i always always like that that's why i love the, they're like a crossover band or something like it, no. yeah or like boiling point issue number five is it Ooh, yeah <laughs> with sound with sound garden yeah, yeah there's sound a letter garden. you know there you know you know there's a letter for me in that in that issue what for real yeah you're one of the angry people yeah yeah i wrote a letter because they put like a thing in a maximum rock and roll classified about like boiling point number five coming out soon we need sound garden photos and i read that i was like fuck you guys man <laughs> because <laughs> I, was, I was just like you could find sound garden photos anywhere like i always thought when people did that they were just trying to like shove somebody's face in it you know like oh we're not into hardcore anymore we're into sound garden and we need some photos like dude everybody like go anywhere you can get a sound garden photo and like wouldn't you put that in the like a classified and freaking flip side or something you know what i mean like yeah. next mark and roll come on like you're just yeah. trying to be a jerk i thought so i, I that was kind of <laughs> just of the letter just like you guys used to be into hardcore and like now you're doing the sound garden thing and i just think you're doing it to like be a dick and um yeah and then like at, underneath is like i remember like reading it and then there was like something underneath that i thought was supposed to be like a reply to me but i didn't even get it it was just like some like perzine kind of like i'm staring at the wall thinking or something i'm like is this your retort like uh, i was very confused but i remember like like when i read it in print i was like oh man maybe that was a dumb idea but i think somebody like uh i don't know i want to say like adam from born against or something or somebody was like hey i read that letter you're bowling for that was great and i was like ah like that was uh i guess i did something good i didn't know um, you wrote that i didn't know you wrote one of those letters in that issue but that's still like one of my favorite things in the fanzine ever is when they do like the ultimate like kind of like cop cop out sell out grunge thing and then the next issue is just like fuck you guys like a whole letter section of people yeah, just like well, this, flaming them it's awesome yeah. yeah there's a lot of that i mean definitely in the late 80s because then like all of a sudden like there was boiling point there was like village that seen the village noise like that guy all of a sudden like got really into like grunge and stuff and sold out from canada didn't they kind of do that or no uh, of- yeah they kind of went well like it was like they definitely went that kind of like Rollins band, late yeah, band, yeah. Bad Brains kind of like yeah. path that would be like, yeah, I guess Proto Grunge, Soundgarden. Yeah. Or like Ink Disease kind of did that too. Yeah. But yeah. like, yeah. But yeah. And like, I guess like the, the, the King of Lad is like Force Exposure did that. But like, they did it and like formed a fucking culture around what they did. Like, nobody ever did that afterwards, I think. Like, you know whatever fucking boiling i guess boiling point did kind of like uh, the culture was already there when they did it but definitely they like that scene definitely has a um legacy like definitely oh yeah absolutely but i think it's like mainly for the stuff before that because it's like it's like (laughs) it wasn't for the sound garden issue now like like when forced exposure got into it like they were getting into like you know deep cut kind of like obscure like weird hate fucks type stuff whereas like yeah yeah you know like that boy point they're like into Soundgarden and like nirvana and like just like every yeah like, yeah exactly like they wasn't they weren't really doing a lot of hunting basically no. they're just going along with whatever was going on yeah yeah no totally but yeah so anyway 
Dude. Yeah, so I sent a letter to Boiling Point. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I had no idea. Well, that's the thing is like you 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 know I had no idea that you did the It's for Life comp till I think two times ago when we hung out. Oh, uh, I could I could have got away with that one. <laughs> <laughs> that's like though like you like think about that time period in that era like that's like the who's who of good bands. Yeah, I mean it's funny because I can't. Like, it, as I go through my head, like, I can remember the mouthpiece. I can remember... Unbroken, Lifetime? Yeah, I don't remember what this... <laughs> I remember the <laughs> Lifetime song. I remember Mouthpiece, I remember the Flagman song. I don't remember how the, how the... I remember the Mean Season song. The Resurrection song is that song. Why? Strife, Am I the Only One? Man, that song seemed like it went on forever. Um, <laughs> uh, Unbroken, I remember what it sounds like. Reveal, I don't know what that sounds like. There's something else in there too, right? Uh, lifetime, yeah, season? I know the lifetime song. Oh, yeah, mean season. I remember reveal. I vaguely remember, but um, you know, you, you know, uh, Steve Gunn, the dude is on Matador Records. Yeah, yeah, like singer songwriter. He was in Reveal. What? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, no, he was. He plays on that. I think he he doesn't play on the seven inch, but he plays on that track that's on the uh, on the comp. Yeah. So he's a hardcore kid. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, no, I knew him. He was like a younger, he was like a few years younger than me as a hardcore guy. And like, um, it's kind of funny because, yeah, he was always like a nice kid and he played in Reveal and then, uh, he, sent some other, he was in like another band. But then like, all of a sudden it was kind of this weird thing where like a few years passed and like, he was like a part of this kind of like, <clears throat> like psychedelic, like improv scene in uh, Philadelphia. He had like a band. It was like an improv psych band. And I remember like just going to a random show and be like, oh, Steve Gunn has a, a band. Cool. And they were like kind of this noisy psych band. But I was like, ah, oh, like, I remember seeing that and be like, oh, like somebody, somebody went the right path here. <laughs> like, you know, like somebody's finally on my side. Um, <laughs> so like, he's, yeah, he's like super into like, you know, Japanese psychedelic rock and like weird hippie music. So we get along well when we do see each other um but yeah no he he was a total like 90s uh hardcore dude yeah it's it's amazing too like because that's you know it's it, it's how many people that were kind of like i guess confined by the parameters of of hardcore at that time that like had real wild tastes that when they were finally kind of like free from their peer group were able to express themselves a little bit oh yeah totally yeah and i mean i think the other thing with that is like you you totally gravitate towards like like I remember like my brother playing me something like like Albert Eiler or something like that where I was like man this is just like one long hardcore song <laughs> kind of like it's just like total aggro and I remember just being like man I wish you kind of just got me into this stuff first um, but I think that's it it's like you <clears throat> you are attracted to like the most extreme stuff out of like outside of hardcore so like I think it was the same way like I got really into like Sonny Chirac and like all these like real out um, out jazz artists you know like that was the stuff that attracted me like Sonny Chirac sounded to me like one long void song or something like I was like man this is great um so yeah but then you can be into Iceburn and get the best of both worlds uh Iceburn's like fusion-y it's like jazz meets hardcore yeah it's kind of like like free I don't think they ever get like really noisy and weird I don't know I know um but I don't mind. I, I don't mind Iceburn. Having said that, I don't mind them. But it's more like fusiony to me. Than yeah. Jazz. 
They're definitely the, the weirdest record ever on Victory Records. <laughs> yeah, or on uh, on Rev or Art Monk. Or Art that Monk. was the one thing. Yeah, the one thing I liked about when Iceburn did play, like I thought they were fine. I liked them, but like they were like at, at that point in time, like that was the closest of like an SST band kind of. Like they would just like be thrown in the middle of a show with like Endpoint and like Mouthpiece or something, and like people would just be like, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> um, so that was like the closest of that genre or that 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 time period. I think where like the weird, like just some band would be thrown in the middle of it. And someone would be like, I think one of these guys was an insight, <laughs> which they were. So. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, another good band, like an insight, another good band that like totally follows the form perfectly and does it like nails it. Yeah. And if like, they weren't from Salt Lake city, they probably would have been a lot bigger. Totally. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they were just as good as any of those other bands and they like killed it. That seven inch is still like, Amazing to me. And that's on Soul Force Records too, which is the same label they put out the first breakaway. Yes. And Last Option, which is another good Yeah. That's like another like to me an unheralded uh hardcore seven inch. Absolutely. That last option. I like that a lot. Yeah. That label did that, yeah. That label put out some killer stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I wanna say who did that? I don't know. I'm assuming it's probably one of the guys that was in like Wind of Change or uh Yeah, I think it was Wind of Control. Change. Because like the other guy, the drummer of Wind of Change is uh, Eric, who who did Art Monk, and I think he runs like that Furnace Manufacturing, like the pressing company, pre- like record pressing company. Oh wow, Manhattan, okay. I think, but um, I know that dude was in Wind of Change, and he did he did Step Forward Records that put out the the Unipride seven inch. Yeah, you all those all those drug free youth T shirts and uh, and what have you. <laughs> That's that's uh, the label. Yeah. That's that. Those drug for use shirts are what's paying for uh, the pressing plants that are now pressing everyone's records. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, <laughs> the those, Empire built those were you, Yeah, you couldn't get get away from those things, man. Everybody had one of those. Um, um, yeah. Well, I, Tony, I could talk to you all night, my friend, but uh, I, I think uh, we should do a part three at some point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this has just been meandering. It's great. Yeah, but that's what this <laughs> podcast go. is. You know, if it if it gets too much on a point, then uh, I feel like I've I've really missed my opportunity to have a meandering conversation with someone. Oh, that's perfect. I mean, it's fine by me. We we discussed both Breakaway and Sunny Chirac. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> my kind of convo. Um, yeah. No, that's it's fine. I mean, this is. But I like this more than you know. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. This, uh, well, I do good. have, I have lots of other questions, you know, and I would love to ask you them, but that's what like, you know, the part threes are for and everything too. Right. So, but you are sure. by far my, my, one of my favorite authors, one of my most read authors, that's for sure. I've read all of your books now, um, well, multiple times and, uh, yeah, like, thank you for coming on, man. Again. Oh, no, thank you. Appreciate it. Much of much appreciated, and uh, you know, I guess I should plug the book. Uh, if you want to, uh, I have a new book called Straight Edge: A Clear-Headed Hardcore Punk History. And uh, if you want to order it, you can go to www.straightedgebook.com. So, if you enjoyed this conversation, maybe you enjoy the book. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you will really enjoy this book because yeah. it deals with the kind of minutia that uh, these me- meandering conversations revel in 
on this show. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's like a it's like that in book form. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome, Tony. Thanks, buddy. No, thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you, Tony, for coming on the show. Now, Tony's going to be back again because he's a friend and someone I like talking to, and hopefully he'll write some more music books because, once again, as I say, I do enjoy reading them. Uh, and speaking of enjoying reading, next week on the show, you will not be reading. You will be listening to a conversation with a punk Legend. Now, this is someone I've always wanted to have a sit-down conversation with, someone that I've longed for the opportunity to kind of have a, a chat with this person, and I, I got to do it. Thanks to my brother, Tristan, you know, digging in, finding this guy, asking him, tracking him down, but next week on the show, from Screeching Weasel, from the Methadones, from the Queers, from all sorts of other bands... Dan Vapid is on this show, and it's a great conversation. Uh, we talk a lot about hardcore, talk a lot about, we even talk about some Chicago metal, like obscure Chicago metal. And yeah, it's a fun episode. So that's next week on the show. Uh, once again, if you'd like to support the show, please write a review, rate this on iTunes, tell your friends about it, get the word out. Um, once again, uh, if you would like to get in touch with me, go to the website address. There's an email address there. Find me on various forms of social media at Lefford Damien. Uh, also, I know this has been a little dude centric lately. I assure you I'm working on it. I, I, I'm once again, booking has befallen me, uh, or booking troubles have befallen me and things like that. But, uh, I, I promise there will be some more women on the show very soon. Um, cause it's a little dude centric. I a hundred percent admit that. Um, but that is something I'm working on next week on the show. It's a great conversation, fun times. Everyone stay safe. Uh, I'm going to be going to LA to see some wrestling this week. So, oh no, I'm probably going to talk to you before that. I'm going to talk to you before that. So I'll, I'll deal with that when I talk to you again. Uh, anyway, yeah. See you on footnotes. Thank you, everyone. Bye. <laughs>